Well, good evening. I hope everybody has had a good evening uh, and enjoyed a little bit of uh, relaxation. Maybe, um, hopefully, you've been thinking about the Lord on the Lord's Day, and uh, maybe you've even some, studied some things that we've talked about this morning. Uh, we're going to be talking about the book of 2 Corinthians tonight. Uh, so if you want to get out your Bibles and be turning to 2 Corinthians, we're just going to be learning uh, the message of this book and trying to understand how applicable it is to us. And I'm looking forward to studying this with you. Um, we've, been, we've been going through the 66 books of the Bible, and uh, we're now in the New Testament, and it's been a while. It's been like two months since I've done an overview, so I'm a little rusty. Uh, but, but we're going to be... Uh, Continuing through this, hopefully every month, on the same Sunday that I prepare the topical sermon, I'm going to try to also create the 66 Gospels, an uh, overview of a New Testament book until we're done with this. Uh, but, but I find these New Testament books much easier uh, to study than a lot of those Old Testament books with their 52 chapters and 150 chapters and all of that. Um, but also at the same time, very challenging because... Uh, sometimes you get books like 2 Corinthians where um, it's not extremely easy to understand what the thread of the book is. Uh, but it is, it is easy once somebody shows it to you. Uh, but if you try to open it up and study it for yourself, then you're just like, I have no idea where he's going, where he's been, what he's talking about. Uh, the first time I ever tried to teach a class on it, um, I did all this study trying to figure it out, and I was spending hours upon hours, and I just couldn't figure it out. Um, and I'm, I'm supposed to teach this, so I just was trying to be open to the class. Like, and then for some reason, he talks about this, and I don't know why. And it's just, it was the most frustrating class I think I've ever taught uh, because of the difficulty of this book. Uh, but once somebody finally showed me the key to the book, it all really made a lot more sense. Uh, so I hope that I can do that for you tonight and share with you what uh, others have sh shared with me and shown to me. Um, and, and I hope you find a lot of benefit from this book, as I have. Uh, if you think about it, we studied 1 Corinthians, and I think everybody knows 1 Corinthians pretty well. Uh, it's a pretty well-covered book. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of Christians have studied that uh, to go there for all kinds of different topics. Uh, but, but we studied that two months ago. And we saw in the Corinthian church a lot of issues. So imagine you're the Corinthian church. Okay? You have had the letter written to you of 1 Corinthians. Convicting you, you know, Paul has, has convicted them of all kinds of sin. Uh, so you have, you have a sexual immoral person in your midst that you have refused to uh, tell, to get out of here. You're not, you're not part of us. You have accepted him and allowed for the sexual morality to continue as though everything's okay. Uh, how, you're that church. Uh, you are the church who has uh, all kinds of uh, fighting and divisions inside of you, people following after different teachers and different opinions and different thoughts and lifting up men and their, their opinions and their interpretations and their thoughts as though they are Christ and uh, you have pursued idolatry. Uh, you, you've gone into the places where the idols are worshipped to buy your food and, and you've done it right in front of your brother, not caring anything about what the brother thinks not caring about causing a stumbling block for your brother. Um, you have uh, come together for the Lord's Supper, and you ate all the bread, 
you know, there's somebody in the midst who's, who keeps eating all the bread and all the fruit of the vine, so there's nothing left. Or the people who uh, have to drive further and the people who don't have enough uh, whenever they get there to actually enjoy the Lord's Supper with you. Uh, there's all kinds of spiritual gifts among you, and there's all kinds of problems with that. People are using those gifts in a proud and boastful way. Uh, there's just a, a lot of issues in your congregation. How do you feel right now after reading Paul's letter of 1 Corinthians? You feel this big, right? You feel this big, like there's, there's no hope for you. Uh, you are not going to be the church that God wants you to be. I mean... We're a mess. We got major problems. Uh, at the end of the First Corinthian letter, he tried to build them up a little bit by reminding them about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and, and we're going to see some of that in this book. But really, the letter of Second Corinthians is intended to be the sequel of First Corinthians. It's intended to be the next letter that comes to them to try to encourage them after how difficult First Corinthians was. Uh, and that makes a lot of sense whenever you start reading the book in this way. Uh, to see this, uh, we, we see the, the connection of 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. You can look in chapter 2, and you can see Paul talking about the brother among them who has committed sexual immorality. Uh, and he's trying to make the statement that, uh, that don't, I, I, I want you to forgive him if he, as he's returned, and if anybody who you forgive, I forgive. So there's obviously some connection there. And then in chapter 5, verses 8 through 9, he talks about how they responded to uh, the First Corinthians letter uh, with repentance, godly grief, repentance. Uh, so there's obviously a connection. The rebuking of the other letter has happened, and now we see a little bit more of an explanation uh, about that letter in 2 Corinthians. So it makes sense for this to be kind of a sequel. Uh, a lot of times people look at this book and they think, well, this is Paul's defense of his apostleship. Have you ever heard that? You might have heard that idea before. Um, there are certainly aspects of this that point to maybe him defending himself as being an apostle. But notice what he says in chapter 12, going to the end of the book. Uh, what he says his purpose is in writing this letter. Uh, this is, I think, a key text in the book. So chapter 12, beginning with verse 19. He says, Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves? <laughs> it's funny how people come to the conclusion that this is Paul's defense of his apostleship. And then he says, Have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come along, come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual morality, and sensuality that they have practiced. You see, the reason behind this letter is that Paul is trying to build them up to actually change, to actually repent, to actually do the things that they're supposed to do. And he's not really trying to defend himself. He's really focused on them and how they can be built up to be better in God's sight, to glorify God. Uh, and, and that's really what his focus is. Paul's not writing a letter about himself. 
after writing the first letter saying, Corinthians, it's not about you. It's not about me. You know, he's not writing a letter all about me. Uh, That's not the intention of the letter. The intention is to build them up, to strengthen them so that they can get through all of these challenges that he has given them, all of these sins that he is going to be struggling with, overcoming in his life. Uh, this, is what, this is what Paul's goal is in writing the letter. So once you see that, then as you start reading through this letter, encouragement after encouragement pops off of the page at you. Uh, and there are some statements in here that are very point blank uh, that he says, I'm confident in you. I am, I am sure that you're going to do the right things. I mean, he's really trying to build them up. Uh, and you'll see that as you read through the letter. So if I were to summarize the whole book of 2 Corinthians into uh, sections, which is oftentimes what I like to do, uh, it really has this two parts. The first part uh, is Paul basically describing his ministry. And this is the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians. He describes his ministry to them uh, in, in a lot of different ways, and we're going to look at all those. Uh, and, and that's intended to give them some understanding and comfort in their own ministries. As they see what Paul has been doing, then they understand it more, and then they feel more comfortable in the ministry that they're going to be engaged in. And then in chapter 8 through 13, uh, in the second half of the book, he starts going through uh, and telling them different examples and different things that they need to uh, change, but he's also really uh, trying to give them a different mindset, a different way of looking at life. Uh, Because of the ministry that Paul has been and is engaged in, because of the ministry that God has given to the Corinthians, they shouldn't have a mindset like everybody else. They should have a totally different mindset about giving about boasting. He's going to talk a lot about boasting, which is something that apparently they struggle with. And, and just in general, uh, Paul has this mindset of care and compassion and concern for other people. And he exemplifies that for them to have the same kind of mindset. He cares about their souls and he wants them to care about uh, other people's souls as well. So let's talk about the first seven chapters of 2 Corinthians. To start off with, uh, whenever you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, you notice in verse 3 that the whole book starts uh, with this kind of a statement, and you just you see the connection immediately to chapter 12 that we just read. Verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction." so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experienced when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Notice the repeated word throughout this section is comfort. Uh, Paul, at the very beginning of this letter, 
tries to give them encouragement, tries to build them up and tell them we all have a God who comforts us. All the things that I've said to you in 1 Corinthians, that was rough, and your life has been miserable as you've been faced with your sin and as you've been trying to overcome your sins. That is suffering that you're enduring. As you're trying to fight against the false teachers that are among you that are, are trying to turn you to them instead of uh, and making life all about them instead of actually turning to God and, and glorifying God. That's suffering. That's affliction. And Paul says, I'm going through the same thing. And there's a God who comforts us all. And you should be comforted in knowing my suffering and my afflictions are the same as yours. You're not alone in this. There are brethren who are suffering these same things with you. And so this really serves to set up the whole first section of the book. As he tells them uh, that we're here to try to comfort you. And, and we're suffering alongside you we start to get into uh, all of the things that Paul has been suffering and going through for the comfort of Christians everywhere, for the spreading of the gospel of Christ. And, and he just goes on and on explaining and, and describing to them his ministry. In the next section, uh, verses 8 through 11, he explains uh, the affliction that he went through in Asia, uh, how he was burdened to the point where he thought he was going to die and he says uh, that God delivered him. God who raises the dead delivered him. And he says uh, in verse 9, Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us and he will deliver us. You see him pointing out his affliction, pointing out his suffering that's in his ministry that's happened, so that he can exemplify for them the right response to rely on God. It's been hard. It's been rough. We thought we were going to die, but we relied on God, and God helped us through it, uh, pointing again, God is comforting. God is helping. But really, this is serving to explain to the Corinthians, this ain't a cakewalk for us. You know, the, the ministry that we're involved in has not been easy. Asia was a nightmare, uh, and if not for God's help, we would be dead right now. Uh, and he's trying to use that to start to explain the things that have happened in the past with Corinth. Uh, he had said that he was going to come visit them in 1 Corinthians. And what we see from verse uh, 12 all the way down through verse 17, or really 15 through 17 of chapter 2, is uh, an explanation of why he didn't make it there. Why he never made it to Corinth. He said he was going to come and then he never made it. He set it up with, we've been afflicted to the point of death and we've learned to rely on God. And then he says, I, I, I wanted to come to you. I planned to come to you, but circumstances were out of my control. Things happened. And it's not as though I'm one who says I want to come to you and then I never really come. And I just send Titus to you, which is what we're going to find out he did. Uh, but it's, it's, the truth is, I want to, but things don't always work out the way that I want them to. And so he tries to explain that to them and, and help them understand. And, and, and he also says in the midst of this, plus, I wanted us, whenever I come to you, I wanted us to share in joy with one another. I didn't want to come in the middle of you guys trying to work things out with the repenting process for this person who has sinned. 
I wanted you guys to have plenty of time to work that out so that whenever I come to you, it's all worked out and we're brothers and we love each other and we're excited about meeting and being with each other again. And so I wanted to give you time for that. And he also says, I'm not trying to lord it over you. I'm not, I'm not trying to come in and, and orchestrate how this all happens and make sure that everything is done the way Paul would do it. I'm not trying to force you to do things my way. I'm trying to allow you time to work it out and to figure it all out. And then uh, in verse 12 of chapter 2, he talks about another trip of his and uses that as an example. He says, when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open to me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. This is an example of, of, for, for everybody to see that Paul's trying to make decisions based on the circumstances and the situations. He had every intention of going on from Troas to the, the area of Corinth probably and because he didn't feel comfortable because Titus hadn't gotten there yet he just went on to Macedonia and I, I meant to have a, a map up here to explain where all these places are but he just moved on to another place because it just didn't feel right. He was making a decision at the moment. But he says after that in verses 14 through 17 that it doesn't matter wherever I go, I am spreading the aroma of Christ. That's the way I view myself. Like I'm, I'm just going everywhere as, uh, as, as I'm in this parade that Jesus is leading me in and I'm burning incense uh, that, that has this aroma. And this aroma goes to some people and they, they want it. And it results in their salvation. And it goes to other people and they reject it and they don't want anything to do with it. So he says, you know, I didn't go through the open door that was given to me there in Troas. Uh, and, and I ended up going off to Macedonia. But it's okay because there's work to do in Macedonia as well. Uh, and so that's him trying to explain himself and, it, and help everybody to understand what he's doing. And, and at the end he has this, uh, verse 17, We're not like so many peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. His mission is not to just please people and to do the things that make everybody happy. His mission is to sincerely preach and teach the word of God to as many people as he possibly can. And that's his focus. And so he's, he's trying to explain himself and, and help everybody understand the way he operates so that they can learn from that. And so that they're not making accusations against him, which maybe they were making, maybe not. Um, but, but he's trying to make it very clear. There was no ill intention. I was sincere whenever I said I was coming. And, and I really do plan to come to you and I want to come to you in the future. But then he continues to talk about his ministry as we get into chapter 3. Uh, and, and this is where he really goes into detail explaining his ministry. So he talked about kind of his circumstances that led to him not coming to Corinth and, and gave some examples of that, of, of things that happened. And then he gets into the details of his ministry. And what I, what I want you to see as you look at this is Paul is using this as a tool to help the Corinthians understand the work that he's doing. They don't, they don't seem to get it. They don't seem to understand what his mission is all about. And so he's trying to, to show it to them and, and encourage them in his mission, in his work. 
And, and throughout this whole thing, I kind of get the feeling, you know, Paul didn't really feel comfortable explaining, uh, you know, the greatness of everything that he's doing. I mean, it's kind of might sound braggadocious. Uh, he says, am I commending myself? Uh, I'm not trying to commend myself. Now, he says this kind of stuff over and over again throughout the text. He's trying to give the impression that I'm just trying to show you the greatness of the ministry that was given to me in order for you to understand the greatness of the ministry that was given to all of us, uh, in order for you to be encouraged to fulfill your ministry. So in chapter 3, the first 18 verses, he talks about the greatness of his ministry by saying it has greater glory than the glory that was in the first covenant. It has a new uh, glory in the new covenant that is not a temporary glory. And he brings up Moses and says, when Moses was given, entering into the presence of God, his face shone with glory, but it went away. And he says, with Christ, it's an eternal glory. And we're beholding the face of God in Jesus Christ. And he, he talks about that as the eternal glory. And he, he brings that out even more in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where he talks about blindness. And he basically says, um, you know, some people are blinded and they can't see. And like Moses, they have to put a veil over their face uh, so that people can't see the glory of God. And he's, he's trying to explain to them in his ministry Uh, He's trying to remove the veil. He's trying to remove the blindness so that people can see the light of God and it can shine into their hearts. This is the way he explains his ministry. It's really beautiful. Uh, And then he goes further in chapter 4 and he talks, as we we read through this morning, about the resurrection. And this continues into chapter 5. And he explains his ministry as uh, having the death of Jesus in him. So that the life of Jesus can be seen through him. Uh, He is constantly giving himself over to death. He's constantly giving himself over to suffering. And his goal and his desire is that the lost might be saved. And that we can all find the resurrection of glory at the end. The resurrection of eternal life for everyone uh, when this life is over. He believes in the resurrection. So this is why he's speaking and and telling them all these things. This is why he he is doing all the work of his ministry. He wants them to believe it as well. And he wants them to then take that information and let it motivate them to live not for this world, but to live for the world that's to come. So this is really the core of the, the whole message of his ministry. As he's trying to help them understand the core motivation he has for all the suffering and sacrifices that he goes through. Then we get later into chapter 5, and he explains that his goal is to reach those who are lost. Uh, That's what his ministry is all about. He's aiming uh, for people to be reconciled to God. That's why he wrote 1 Corinthians. He wanted those who were lost to be reconciled to God. That's his whole purpose in life. He sees himself as an ambassador going out for God and trying to bring people to God and allow that relationship to be restored so that they can have a relationship with God forever. Uh, And so all the way from chapter, uh, the rest of chapter 5, he explains uh, that all of this in verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us. And then he transitions, says, We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, The goal is reconciliation. The goal of Jesus coming and becoming a sin offering for us is to, uh, to account for our sins, redeem us of our sins, and allow for us to be the righteousness of God. Uh, and that's, that's the goal that Jesus uh, found and fulfilled, and that's the goal that we also should have. And notice how he starts to appeal to them. Uh, in, in verse 1 of chapter 6, it continues, Working together with him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you. In the day of salvation I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Uh, so he's pointing to an appeal to them. He's not condemning them, but he's making this appeal to them that they would uh, fulfill the ministry that God has given them to do. That they don't just receive the grace of God and then live their life however they want to live, but that they fulfill the mission and the, the goal that God has for them in the way that God has for them to fill it. Uh, verse 11 is, is another text that, in chapter 6 that's trying to, uh, I guess, explain why he's talking about this ministry so much. He says, We've spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. He's explaining his ministry. He's trying to help them understand so that they will be reconciled to God and so that they will have a greater affection for for Paul as he has a great affection for them. Uh, That's the purpose of explaining his ministry. And he continues to explain the ministry by saying uh, that he, whenever he came to them, was not wise and uh, didn't, didn't appear to you know, be boastful and proud of himself, but he was just very simple, he was very open, uh, and he was very godly in the things that he was saying. And you see this throughout uh, these 13 verses of chapter 6, the first 13 verses. He, just, he says, I, I was wide open, I was simple, I was easy to understand, and I'm not trying to pull one over on you. I'm just trying to explain the truth to you because I love you and I wish you'd love me back. Uh, so really interesting kind of heartfelt words there. Uh, then you get into the latter part of chapter 6, and he starts transitioning into part of his message is that they would become pure and holy. Whenever he goes everywhere preaching the good news of Jesus and salvation and the glory and the resurrection and all these wonderful things to all these people, he doesn't leave out the fact that there's supposed to be a transformation inside of them. And he wants the Corinthians to have that transformation. And he he refers to uh, a text, he says um, in verse 16, talking about the temple of God, uh, and, and he says, God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And he says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. You see the picture of him encouraging holiness, 
uh, godliness. And later in chapter 7, he will say, I'm, I'm proud of you for showing godly grief and, and repenting of the things that you've done. And I, I encourage you to continue to do that. Make sure you don't have worldly grief. Make sure you have godly grief and that you're actually trying to do the things that God has commanded you to do to be holy and righteous. Now, you see how this first section, the first seven chapters, are just explaining Paul's ministry uh, in a way that's intended to encourage them and build them up to be faithful, to, to endure the suffering and the challenges of repentance and becoming a church that glorifies God. Uh, in chapter 8, he kind of transitions. Uh, he starts talking to them about their ministry of giving, uh, that, that they should be giving uh, as they have promised. Turns out, 1 Corinthians 16, where he commands them to lay by in store on the first day of the week, was probably connected to some kind of a promise that they had made prior to that. And, and Paul starts talking about their giving and explains a little bit more about their giving in chapter 8. Uh, he tells us that uh, the churches in Macedonia are willing to give above and beyond what they're able to give. And, and then he brings up the Corinthians and he says, uh, basically, I bragged about you to them and look at their diligence and their willingness to give. And then he says, now, whenever I send people to you to receive the gift, it would be really humiliating <laughs> if I send them to you to get the gift and you haven't set anything aside. You haven't done anything uh, to, to, to fulfill the promise that you made to, do, to, to, to give to the church in Jerusalem that is in extreme famine. Uh, and so he, he just he explains why he was telling them, go ahead and lay something aside right now. Make sure that you've got enough. It was not because he wanted their money. That's not what he's after. Uh, he, has, he explains, I've got Titus, I've got this brother who is well known by the churches, probably Apollos, who's coming with me to get this money, to transfer this money. Um, this is not about me. This is not about me getting a bunch of money. This is about you fulfilling your promise and the church uh, glorifying God because of your generosity. Uh, and so chapters 8 and 9 are all about that. And that's just kind of trying to summarize all of the different things that are talked about there. Uh, there at the end, he says, I want you to be cheerful in this. I want you to sow bountifully. And, and, and if you'll do that, then you'll reap bountifully. Uh, and everything will uh, result in the glory of God. You should be thanking God because he's the one who's given you plenty in this time. And make sure you give now because there's probably coming a time when you're going to be in need. Then in chapter 10, uh, he, he, he talks about his... Uh, his boasting. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of information in chapter 10 and boast about uh, that's just boasting. And, and if you think about the first uh, book, 1 Corinthians, it started off with this. Uh, they were wise in their own sight. Uh, and so you know there's some problems in, in Corinth of people thinking a lot about themselves. And so as you get into chapter 10, you see him uh, entreating them and, and, and encouraging them, but also recognizing that people are saying things about him uh, because they're so, they're so proud of themselves. They're looking down on Paul uh, for his weaknesses and the fact that he is not as strong whenever he gets here. His letters are big and strong, but whenever he gets here, look at the guy. He's like nothing. Uh, and so they, they, they talk about him that way. And Paul comes back in and tries to help them understand that it's not about appearances. 
And, and I'm not trying to show myself as being the greatest. Uh, and, and if you read verses 3 through 6, it says, uh, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Uh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when, you, when your obedience is complete. So in that, in that text, he, he kind of alludes to this idea that uh, he's not here to fight them the way they want to fight. Uh, he's not here to have a war on words with them. Maybe they've said some bad things about him. He's like, I'm not here to talk bad about them. Uh, that's what people who are uh, of this world do. There's malice, there's slander, there's gossip, all that kind of stuff. That's not, that's not who we are. That's not the way we fight the weapon, the, the, the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. Uh, and so he'll go on to explain, uh, if, if they want to boast and, and if they're going to have all these things that they're boasting about, here, Corinthians, let me go ahead and give you my resume. I don't really want to. Uh, but, hey, you know, if they're causing you to go away because these guys got this killer resume of all these wonderful things they're doing, and they're constantly putting it in front of your face, saying, look at all the things we've accomplished, then okay, I'll give you, I'll give you my resume. I'm not supposed to. I don't need to. I shouldn't do this. My only boasting should be in the Lord, and this is the way he presents it. It's like all these little statements before he goes on boasting about himself. It's like, I shouldn't do this. Uh, this is foolish. I don't know why I'm doing this. But I feel compelled to tell you all the things that I've done and that God has done through me uh, so that you'll understand that I am on a higher level than these crazy people who are acting like they're so great. Uh, and whenever you read through chapters 10 and 11, it is mind-blowing. The number of things that Paul has been through for the sake of Christ, uh, for the sake of the gospel. And that's really his whole goal. His whole mission is to reveal the truth and to help people come to know the truth. You get the feeling he's uncomfortable sharing this stuff. This is not the stuff he likes to talk about. But he feels like it, the time has come and the situation is such that he has to explain and share these truths about the things that have happened to him. Uh, there's just so many things that are mentioned there, um, and, and, and I, won't, I won't read through all those, but let's look at verse 16 and try to understand the reason behind him explaining all of uh, the things that he's done. He says, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying, uh, what I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord, but would but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being yourselves, being wise yourselves. For, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. In the presence of them, Paul never gave the impression that he had suffered and done so many wonderful things for Christ. He never gave the impression. He probably didn't even bring up the fact that he was nearly stoned to death. He didn't go about boasting about all his accomplishments. And because of that, the Corinthians are like, oh man, these guys are way better than Paul. Look at how many things they've done. It's like, what? This is Paul. You don't know who Paul is? You don't know all the things Paul's done, and we know because we read this book, but they didn't know because he never explained it to them. 
And so he goes on and he goes ahead and explains it to them. And thankfully he did. Because that's the example that we have today to look at and say, whoa, this guy was something else. He was on a different level. And he doesn't do it to be thought of that way. He does it to help the Corinthians see that these other men are nothing. Uh, and you shouldn't be listening to them. And, and you remember how Jesus said, you know, you're not supposed to be bragging and boasting in order to get your own glory. You're not supposed to be telling the things that you've accomplished to other people. But look here, Paul says, I, I don't want to do this. Uh, maybe it'll remove the reward that I have for, uh, for enduring all these things. But I'm going to just share this with you because I care more about your souls than I care about my reward. That's the way he says it. It's pretty amazing uh, stuff coming out of the, the mouth of Paul. Uh, and then he talks about another vision that he has, and, and, and he says uh, a phrase in this that I think is really important in, in chapter 12. He, he has a thorn in the flesh, he has suffering. A lot of the things that he mentions are a lot of suffering and, and things that he's had to endure. But he has this thorn in the flesh, he says, uh, that, that has been constantly uh, burdening him, and he wants to uh, have it passed from him in chapter 12. And he prays three times for God to remove it. And then verse 9, he says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he says, basically, there's all my resume there's all the great accomplishments I have. And you know what? I don't really want to boast in any of those um, because God revealed to me that his power is made perfect in weakness. And you know what I want to think about myself is? I am horrible. I am weak. Uh, I am undeserving of the many blessings that God has given to me. And he says, by thinking about myself that way and being more glad in the weaknesses that I have, whether it's eyesight or his, his uh, eloquence and speech, whatever the, the weaknesses are, he says, I'm going to be proud of that because the power of Christ is made perfect in that. God is able to accomplish his will. God is able to bring people to him through that, through my weaknesses, not through my boasting. Uh, so he kind of shifts the mindset, and that's really what this whole section has been about, changing their mindset about money, changing their mindset about works, uh, and changing their mindset about other people and the way you view other people. The last part of this uh, section in verses uh, 11 and following, sorry, I uh, skipped that. Uh, in, in verse 11 of chapter 12 and through the rest of the book, Paul just simply explains how much he cares for them how he is trying to show them that they can trust him, that they should follow after the things that he's taught them. He, he cares deeply about their souls. He was never trying to take advantage of them uh, or, or uh, hurt them in any way. He's always been working for their good. Uh, and he says a few things in closing that I think are really important. So let's go to chapter 13, verse 10. He says, for this reason, I write these things while I'm away from you, that when I come, I may, not, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace 
and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay. So at the end there, you see him saying, uh, I'm writing these things so that we can have joy together, so that you can be built up and strengthened to be faithful to what God has commanded you to do, and so that we can have fellowship with one another and we can be restored in our relationships. Uh, We can love one another, and that's his goal. That's his aim and desire in everything he does. He doesn't say things to divide and to cause people uh, to to hate him or to uh, create a clear line so that we can get rid of those people. He's constantly trying to bring restoration and comfort to everybody that he talks to. So uh, what's the message of this book? Hopefully it's become clear as I've been saying it. Hopefully I was clear as I I talked throughout this book. But what we see is uh, Paul wants to build them up after he's told them some really hard truths in 1 Corinthians. Uh, He wants them to be strengthened so that they will be able to glorify God uh, in all their sufferings. They need to learn to rely on God and not on themselves, and not think much of themselves. They need to follow Paul's path of ministry and and focusing on the glory of God. Also, we learn that the Corinthians really need to look beyond appearances. Uh, they, They have this tendency to be thinking about things from a very external and fleshly way, and they're not thinking very deeply, and they're not thinking very spiritually, about the truth that Christ's power is perfected in weakness, not in the appearance of greatness. Uh, Things that seem weak, sufferings, uh, all these things that they're going through that maybe they look like a foolish church who's made all these mistakes, God can work through that to accomplish more than the one that's great and perfect and good. And you think about these letters How much work has God done in his church through the weaknesses and the failings of the church at Corinth? There's great encouragement in that. As Paul thinks about his weaknesses, he finds encouragement that God is able to work in the weaknesses to his own glory. uh, And the Corinthians are supposed to find the same thing. So as we try to apply this book to ourselves, I think it's really helpful for me to just think about the way Paul writes this letter, the way he interacts with this group of people. Um, You notice how he's very patient in explaining himself. You get the sense that maybe he's had accusations brought up against him, and he doesn't seek to defend himself. That's what I would typically do. Um, Somebody speaks against me, I've got to defend myself. I got to stand up for myself. I got to let everybody know that I am I am okay. I am I am a good person and everything's great. And he goes throughout this and says, "I'm not trying to defend myself. I'm just trying to explain the truth so that you're not persuaded by the people who are making false accusations against me." Um, and he's not upset, and he doesn't resort to name calling uh, or anything like that. He's just very simple and and open. Uh, he opens up everything to them. He is he is not hiding things. He's not trying to be deceptive. He's just trying to tell them everything, uh, and he just wants them to respond in kind. And I think I need to learn that. <laughs> That's the way I need to act with other people. I need to be open and honest with them about the things that are going on and the things that I'm doing. If they misunderstand things, I need to help them understand. I need to explain with uh, kindness 
and, and not with anger or frustration uh, or, or trying to deceive them into thinking that I'm really something I'm not. I just need to let them know who I really am, and, and it's okay. And then this uh, statement that we looked at this morning, uh, what Paul does is he dies for them. I mean, that's the way he looks at himself and his work. I am dying for you. Uh, that's, that's what I do. As he lists off all the things that are on his resume, all his accomplishments, he's dying for them. All those treasures in heaven could disappear in his boasting about his accomplishments. He doesn't care. That's, that doesn't matter to him. His focus is primarily on their salvation and their spiritual life. That's what he cares about. And so he will gladly be put to death. And he says in, in chapter 5, Though my outer self is wasting away, my inner self is being renewed at the knowledge that this is what Jesus has done for me. And Jesus has offered me resurrection from the dead and hope of eternal life. If I will just love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love my neighbors as myself. I need to give them what they need to help them along, to build them up and not tear down the church. I'm not here to tear it down. I'm here to build it up. Uh, and we really need this perspective in ourselves. Do we want to build up or do we want to tear down? It's very easy for us to... Uh, get upset about things and have a reaction that is not really intended to uh, encourage and build up and promote godliness, holiness, righteousness. Uh, and it may not be the things that we say. It may be the way that we say it. But Paul gives us this excellent example that if we say things that are hard to people, like 1 Corinthians Sometimes things are just going to be hard. Uh, we need to come in and try to do the work to build them up, to encourage them to do the things that they really need to do and help them understand why and how they can do those things. And we always need to have a meekness and a gentleness, which is what Paul exemplifies for us, because uh, that's what glorifies God, and that's what we're here for. Uh, so... Whatever it is that uh, you, you face in the future, whatever difficulties there are, uh, I hope you'll find the book of 2 Corinthians to be encouraging to you uh, as you consider the ministry of Paul and are blown away by all the things that he's accomplished. And uh, I hope that you can be motivated by the things that he puts in there that motivates us. Uh, and I hope that we can work together to build one another up for God's glory. If you're here tonight and you've not uh, obeyed the gospel and received the grace that is offered to you, uh, you have no idea what's going to happen to you on the day of resurrection, uh, but it's not going to be good. Uh, but there's hope in Jesus that we can all be saved from our sins no matter what we've done. Uh, we can be forgiven of those sins, and if we can help you in any way, please come as we stand and as we sing.